0: How's everyone doing on this first Sunday of February? February of 2023. Goodness. Hard to believe. Details. Details matter at weddings. At least so I'm told. At my own wedding, we cared a lot about the details. We were among the first in our peer group to get married. Rebecca and I were right out of college, very young, didn't know exactly what we were doing. So what mattered to us um, back then might seem a little different now. Uh, We weren't aware of the fact that the place we were having our wedding was the same town um, where there was a once a year NASCAR race that would happen. And so all of the motel rooms were full, which we didn't know about um we made a lot of different rookie mistakes with the details but there were certain things we really wanted we wanted to be the first ones to leave the wedding so we arranged the schedule so that at the end of the reception we exited we had like changed out of our fancy clothes so uh, we just went to this rent a car that my friend drove up with the the cans in the back and Everyone blew bubbles as we went down the steps of the um, church or reception area there. We got in the car, and off we went. Seemed to be going as planned. And um, we we get to this hotel that I had reserved, and they don't have our names. They don't have a reservation. And I'm like, okay, well, surely it must be in there somewhere. Can you just double check? And then we're kind of looking around, and it's like, hmm. Is this a four-star hotel? It looks looks like a three-star hotel. I thought we booked a four-star hotel. I mean, this is like all the money we had. But something didn't feel right about the place. But then, you know, we're like, okay, well, we'll just check on it later. Gave them my credit card. And, you know, we were there for a few days, and it was great. And then later on, we realized that... Something had happened in the reception when I had asked my friend, my best man, to get me directions to, I can't remember the name of it, we'll just call it Hotel A. And I say, oh, give me directions to Hotel A. This was the days of MapQuest and printing out pieces of paper. So he does that. I have this wonderful piece of paper. So at that point, like details are taken care of, and we drive to exactly where the piece of paper tells us to go on MapQuest, Hotel A. And later we find out we were actually driving to the wrong hotel, and I had told him the wrong hotel because I was just remembering the different ones that I had compared online, and so we ended up in the wrong place uh, because details matter (laughs) in weddings, and they also matter after weddings, apparently, but it worked out. We're going to celebrate 20 years of marriage this summer, so in the end, I think it's okay. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, today we're going to read a story about a wedding in which the details matter, And so, if you have your bulletins, I think it'll be great for us to all just read it out out loud together, if you're comfortable with that. It's right in the first page there, if you have your bulletins. Or if you're listening, it's NIV version of John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Okay, read with me if you're willing to. Ready, begin. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, reading about that, that water turning to wine makes me thirsty, but I forgot my water bottle back there. I'm wondering, TJ, would you mind um, getting me some? Oh, yeah, perfect. That's that's perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, TJ. Very good. It's always good to have more than you need to. You never know um, how much water you might need in a given situation. Oh wow, TJ, that's like really a lot. I don't know if we need that much, but thank you. I mean, we appreciate the generosity. Um, what am I supposed to do with that? Okay. Anyways, as we were saying, oh wow, there's more. Okay, I guess um, we will have an abundance of of water. Hope that's not too distracting. Is it okay if I just continue the message with these? Um, jars here. I hope it's okay. We might as well, I guess. I'll try not to be looking over there um, too often. All right, we're in, the se- we're in the season of Epiphany. Maybe you've had an Epiphany. Epiphany is the season right before Lent. So it's that in-between Christmas and Lent season where we actually get to enjoy what we were anticipating all throughout Advent, which was the birth and arrival of Jesus. And so today we're going to look at other epiphanies or revealings Because epiphany means a revelation. When you have an epiphany, it means that you've experienced some kind of unexpected moment that makes you see and understand things in a new way, possibly a completely different way than you did before. And that certainly was the case for some of the stories that get highlighted historically during the season of epiphany, such as the story of the wedding at Cana, such as the story of the Magi who come to see Jesus, their world is changed in the season of Epiphany. Sometimes when we have these experiences in our lives, an Epiphany can be so astonishing, so amazing that we cannot help but do things differently in the future. You know, we live differently because of what we have experienced. And when that revelation is tied to an encounter with God, an encounter with the divine, that type of epiphany, then we are privileged and blessed to experience some of the deepest mysteries of God. Some of the things that are hard to even put into words. We're connecting with God in a new way. And so part of what we're celebrating today Um, is that deeper mystery of who was Jesus, and what was he about? Why is this his first miracle? What do we learn about the details at this wedding? There's a lot of details. I'm only going to highlight three, and each one goes with one of your points, so don't worry, I'll try not to bombard you with details here. But the first one I want you to notice is the family, the detail of family in this text what does it say about Jesus's family? Well, if you look in the very beginning of verse uh, 1, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, those two facts may or may not be related. The text doesn't say, but we do know that Jesus, his disciples, and his mother are there. Now, have you ever been to a wedding where your mom is also there? How many of you have been to a wedding where your mom is also there, besides your own wedding? Yeah. Usually that means that the wedding is connected somehow between you and maybe the family of the groom, maybe it's the family of the bride, because your mom is there, and you're there, and maybe there's a family connection. Maybe it's one of Jesus's peers getting married, or maybe it's... Uh, daughter or son of one of Mary's friends from the older generation. We don't know for sure, but there's some kind of family dynamic that even prefaces this whole thing as to why Jesus and his mom are there. Because if Jesus and his mom are not both there, the scene would unfold very differently because it's his mom that tells Jesus, they have no more wine. And why would Jesus' mom say this to him if she was not concerned about the family, about the folks involved in preparing this wedding, the folks whose reputation and future was um, on full display? Perhaps it was the case, we don't know for sure, that Mary didn't want her friend's family to be embarrassed. Maybe she was there because of the family of the groom or the family of the bride. It's possible. But that of family makes a big difference in this story. Because we don't believe that Jesus would have done this if his mom hadn't intervened and initiated. And the reason I say this is because he's not super thrilled with the idea of getting involved initially, right? He says, woman, why do you involve me? Which, in that culture, that word um, translated there as woman is actually a, a term of respect. So, it's not looking down on Mary at all. However, it's not mother. It's not a term of closeness either. So, perhaps Jesus is putting some distance there to say, why are you asking me this? Why are you telling me this information? I'm not the wedding planner here. I'm just here because you know, a friend of the family is getting married. And that's why the disciples are here. And yet, Mary goes to Jesus with this information, knowing that there's a possibility he could do something about it. But Jesus isn't done replying. In verse 4, he says, my hour has not yet come. So, he's not like, all right, what do I do? How can I help? Where's the situation? He's like, My hour hasn't come. What hour? Well, this is still early on in his ministry where things are still moving slowly from the private personal relationships to the public miracles and the public revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus knows that once that transition takes place from the inner circle to those confidential conversations about who he is and what he's trying to do with his disciples to the public— then that sets things on a different course, right? Where he knows that not everyone will receive his ministry, his miracles, his teaching, his identity with affirmation. And so he doesn't necessarily want to get that whole ball rolling, right? At this wedding, that's not why he's there. He's there to enjoy and celebrate. My, t- my hour has not yet come. And we don't know what mary says next but she speaks to the servants next and says do whatever he tells you and so mary's faith is being shared and imparted with the servants now who are being instructed by mary to do whatever jesus tells them to do she doesn't know what he's going to tell them to do but whatever it is she trusts him that it's worth following whatever jesus says is going to be something that they want to follow. And one thing I love about Mary in this story is that she puts it in Jesus' hands, and yet she stays differentiated with the outcome, at least as far as we know. She doesn't throw a tantrum. She doesn't, you know, use every possible means to twist his arm. She only says to him, they have no more wine. I believe those are the only words in the text that, Je- that Mary says to Jesus. And then what she says next is to the servant. So Mary is incredibly differentiated. She knows where she begins and ends and where Jesus begins and ends. And all she can do is inform him, make a request, and then it's in Jesus' hands to do it, if Jesus decides to or not. But she kind of thinks that Jesus is going to do something because she tells the servants, whatever he says, do what he tells you. And that's the first point I want to share today in your notes. Jesus is affected by Mary's initiative. You might say his agenda was changed. He had an open-handedness to his life, even if he was in social celebration wedding mode. Hmm maybe it's going to be a different day than he had planned. And because of that, he just wants to really make sure that she knows, do you really want to involve me in this? Because that hour hasn't come yet for me to go public. Although, I guess if today's the day, then today's the day. So he's affected by Mary's initiative. And what I've done this week with the reflection questions is they're kind of built in to the points. So you don't have to look for them later on. They're right there. And so this one for the first point is, when was a time that you changed your plans for the community's benefit? I don't think Jesus is changing his plans because he wants to get a bunch of credit and do a magic show. Um, He didn't want that. But he also didn't want his mom's friend or that family of the groom to be or bride to be embarrassed because it was a big deal in that society to have enough wine. Pretty much wine and water were your options. They didn't have soft drinks. They didn't have all of the consumer options that we have. So if you didn't have wine, you were pretty much left with water and that's just you know the basic drink. So to have wine means it's a real celebration a a once-in-a-lifetime moment that is supposed to last for days and not run out of wine on the first day. And yet, Jesus is open. Maybe you can think of a time where someone else changed their plans for you. Not because it benefited them, but because it benefited you and your community. Maybe it was a sacrifice for them. I think of a story that happened... Um, that same summer that I got married was the summer I graduated from college up in Illinois. And at that time, uh, my dad was in a wheelchair. His health was slowly declining from a brain disease and, um, you know, flying on planes was not really part of what he could do anymore. And yet my mom thought there could be a way for him to travel from Hawaii to Illinois if she had someone to go with her to help my dad on the plane with the wheelchair in and out of vehicles and that kind of thing. And so I don't exactly know how it all unfolded, um, except that my friend and your fellow church member Han Queck, agreed to go with my mom all the way there, not just to Chicago, but you know an hour or two outside of Chicago to this little town where the NASCAR race is happening. um sorry the graduation was before that so the graduation my dad wants to be there and han changes his plans to be there and i actually have a picture um stacy you can put that up of my dad there celebrating with me and my mom and then han is there as well this is the may of 2020 uh 2003 so it's going to be 20 years this summer And that ended up being like one of the last times my my dad ever went on a plane. And to have him there for that moment um, was just an incredible gift because someone was willing to hold their plans with an open enough hand that their plans could change for the sake of someone in the church, for the sake of someone who they cared about. So... Han and I have talked about this since then, and I just love that we have these photos. And I think there was one time a few weeks ago where we had some kind of food after service, and my mom was here, and she got to talk to Han about you know, that whole experience 20 years later. What a special moment um, for all of us. And 2005 was when my dad passed away, so this was in the last couple years of, of his life. But what about you? When has somebody changed their plans for your benefit, for your community's benefit? Okay, second detail. Wow, these, this water's still here. Am I even going to like do anything with it during the sermon? I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with something, right? Okay, second detail to notice. The first one is the family. The second one are these jars. I really want you to notice how much is said in a short 11 verse passage about these jars. The gospel writer John really wants us to notice this, because in verse 6 he says, nearby stood six stone water jars, he tells us what they're made out of, Hmm. the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, he tells us what they're normally there for, and then he tells us that they each hold from 20 to 30 gallons each six of them. He gives us these facts about the capacity of these jars. Have any of you seen The Chosen, the TV series about Jesus' life? Raise your hand if you've seen any of it. It's like in the third season now. I'm still working my way through the second season, but in the first season, I believe it's episode five, it gets into this story. And one of the things that this series, The Chosen, does really well, besides the fact that it's you know free and accessible, you can just Google it and watch the whole thing, is that they have decided to add these backstories to the characters. And they choose various characters, the disciples, the family members, Mary, Nicodemus, and they add this backstory that makes it so compelling and contextual to see what's happening in this wedding. And they do it without contradicting the material that's in the Bible. So, it's, it's kind of tricky writing to do, right? You have to create these backstories, make it cinematic, make sure it's consistent with what's in the Bible, which may or may not be easy to do. Sometimes there's more details, sometimes there's less. And so, in this episode of The Chosen, there's a backstory about the caterers of the wedding. And it turns out that the caterer, One of them is the future disciple Thomas. Sometimes we call him Doubting Thomas, but I like to refer to him more as uh, Detective Thomas or Fact-Finder Thomas. He cared about evidence and measurement and facts, and so when he hears that this is going to happen, he isn't so sure about whether to trust his business into Jesus' hands, despite the fact that they are totally out, of wine, which by the way in the chosen episode is not because of bad planning by Thomas and the catering team, but because of the economic situation with the groom's family and the fact that they are not able to do everything they want at this wedding for their son who's marrying uh, a woman from a much wealthier family. So there's that tension right, between the rich family and the poor family having this wedding. But in that culture, unlike today, it was the groom's family that was responsible for putting all the details and funding together. And so we learn from this episode the way that they portray it is, is, is amazing because we see how Mary is a friend of the groom's mom, and that's why she's there. And that's why she really cares about her friend's reputation on the line when the wine is running out. And she goes to Thomas and says, where is the wine? What is going on? And Thomas and his assistant, they're trying to figure out what to do because they know it's running low. And they discuss some different options. Should we add extra salt to the food maybe so that people are more thirsty for water rather than wine? Um, He decides to just tell everyone to pour like three quarters of a cup instead of a full cup to make it last. He's trying everything he can within his power to make this work for for the sake of his job and the sake of the family of Mary's best friend, the groom's family. And so there's this point where Jesus and Thomas are interacting behind the scenes in the room with these big jars, and Thomas wants to know, how are you going to do this? I thought you had a solution. We are in a crisis. And Jesus starts talking about deeper things, as he often does, and he asks Thomas, why are jars for pure?" Why are jars for purification rites made out of stone? Why are these jars made out of stone, Thomas? And Thomas is like, oh my goodness. Are you really going to like go there right now? What is your solution? Oh my goodness. It's a wonderful moment. Hopefully you can all watch it later. And Jesus just waits patiently. And eventually Thomas is like, okay, fine. I'll give you an answer. Well, he says, because the stone is a pure material that is less likely to stain or break and it can't be made unclean. So in their society there are different materials that were easier to become clean or unclean such as clay for example. If the jars are made of clay and something touches it, a a dead mouse or someone who was Ritually unclean, then you can't use the whole jar, and and maybe even like priests can't even come to the wedding. So there's a lot at stake of what the jars are made out of. But there's something about this material, this stone, that can't be made unclean. Even if there's a dead like a dead mouse, I read, if if there was one inside the jar, they can still use the jar somehow. Ritually speaking, it's still it's still clean because it's made out of stone. It doesn't become ritually impure even if it comes in contact with death hmm something about these jars the kind used by the jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons and then finally thomas agrees okay this is our only option so what are you going to do and so jesus asks everyone to leave the room and then thomas is like oh gosh this is my like inventory here. And so he's the last one to leave the room and his assistant, you know, gives him the nod, like, just let Jesus do what he's going to do. And so Thomas leaves the room, which is an act of faith as well. And then Jesus is there in this scene and he reaches in and touches the water, even as he looks at his reflection and he's thinking about, you know, the symbol of the wine in the last supper, his blood. And as he pulls it out, you know, they do a great job showing how it's like both wine and blood sort of depending on the angle. And then the team tastes it after he tells them to go taste it. And you just hear these like whoops of joy and like cries of excitement, like, what? Oh no, this is crazy. I can't believe it. This is like the best wine ever. So the servants are like celebrating before everyone else. And Jesus is just kind of like chuckling to himself. And you don't see the servants in the scene because they're laughing behind the, the wall, but it gives us anticipation of like how that celebration will eventually spread. But it starts with behind the scenes. It starts with the servants. Isn't that interesting? How sometimes those on the margins, those who are not the stars of the show, are the first to experience the miraculous power of the messiah and that's what i want you to see in number two jesus reveals his miracle working power to the servants first hmm he reveals his power to the servants first and then eventually the whole wedding celebration continues and you know they have a great time some of them know where the wine came from some of them don't some of them know it was jesus some of them don't his mom knows and at the end she kind of like says thank you across the across the room to him Because he saved the day, not only for her friend, but the whole experience. But isn't that interesting how not everyone even knew who to give credit to? Because that wasn't important to Jesus. It was about the honor and reputation and the celebration continuing. So what about you? What concrete action can you take to look for God on the margins? Where is God working, and how will you find God working? Sometimes it involves looking outside of our own lives. We want God to intervene you know. so often, right? Like, help me. Where are you, God, in my life? And often, God is working in our lives, but the way God works is for us to look at other people's lives and to look beyond ourselves to those who might be in more need. And interestingly enough, often it's those in greater need who, in my experience, have more faith and trust and dependence upon God because God is on a shorter list of options for them than some of us who are more privileged and God is kind of one of the options. But maybe we'll try these other solutions first, and if we really need help, then we can, we can pray if we need to, but not necessarily plan A. And for some people, God has always been plan A because they don't have all these options, right? And so one of the ways that I have tried to do this um, is with this water crisis situation where I am like really far removed from it. Um, I probably wouldn't know about it very much if it wasn't for my friends in the Native Hawaiian community who are really like mindful about the water and the colo farms and the history of like how things have become contaminated decade after decade. Meanwhile, my, you know, my water's clean and my tap is fine. But as God has opened up doors for me through inner varsity to connect through the campus work I do more and more with those who are in touch with the land and the Aina, it's like a whole world opens up for me to learn how prayer is happening, how miracles are happening, how advocacy is happening. And even this um, prayer for water that we're doing tomorrow night, we do it once a month on the first Monday, you know? It's unlike any gathering in a church building I've ever been to because it has this blend of activism and social change and desire to make a difference with our action. And yet, it's also like this charismatic prayer service where there's incredible dependence upon the Holy Spirit, where even though, you know, we're encouraged to sign a petition and we're encouraged to call our representatives and we're encouraged to learn more and there's all kinds of facts being presented, we're also led by those um, in the community to pray for miracles. Because even with all of that action, all of that sign holding, all of that, phone call, emailing, awareness raising, it still will take a miracle to cleanse and purify what's already been contaminated as thousands and thousands of gallons have had um, jet fuel, thousands of gallons of jet fuel have leaked into the water supply. And so, what is that like for you? Where are the prayer for water type situations in your life. It it might not be um, a community justice issue. It might not be something to do with um, the environment. Maybe it is. But what is it for you, where you just have a sense that if you were to look for God there, you might you might see God at work on the margins. Where is that for you? What would you expect? as you connect more with that person or that community or that part of your neighborhood that you're not as familiar with. But it could be like those servants in the back room where they are seeing incredible things that God is doing and they would love for more people to celebrate with them. Okay. We're getting close to the end here third and final detail i think we are going to have to talk about the jars these are big each of these bend your knees is five gallons these hold five gallons of water so if all of these were full this one's this one's emptier emptier so we would have like 15 gallons here right and what did we read about the amount in here? Hmm. We'll go back to verse 6. Six jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Oh my goodness. 20 to 30 gallons each. So, if you do the math, right, that would be somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons, if, if each of those six jars is 20 to 30. So 120 to 180 gallons. And if these are each five gallons, how many of these is math problem? <laughs> how many of these would it take to produce 120 to 180 gallons? Anyone know the answer? It's between 24 and 36 of these. TJ just brought three. Imagine 24. 24 of these. Imagine like 36 of these. And not just water inside, but wine. And not just wine, but wine made by Jesus that was later described as the best wine the best that was saved. And that's part of the miracle too. It's not just the quantity of the miracle, it's also the quality, right? And that's a third detail, the the blend of quantity and quality that Jesus brings. Because he cares about everyone having enough, and apparently more than enough, but also not just any wine, wine that will bring joy and honor to those who, maybe not from poor planning, but just through you know, the realities of how much, how much it costs to put on a wedding, they, they only could afford a certain amount of wine. And Jesus says, you know what? For my mom, I'll get involved. For Mary. So the final point, number three, in your notes. Jesus displays God's abundance given for us. God's abundance given for us. Abundance is more than just the required amount. It's more than what the family needs or ordered or purchased for the wedding. It's an overflow. Kind of like the feeding of the 5,000. It's like way too much. 12 baskets. You know, is that wasteful? Is that extravagant? What, what is that? It's, it's abundant. And Jesus is in the business of abundance. Abundance even when we are in the mindset of scarcity, even when we're like Thomas, measuring, calculating, trying to find a solution, what are the options, three-fourths of a cup here, maybe try to push the water to help with the salty food there. How can you lean into God's joy and provision, even when it seems like there's not enough? That's our reflection question. What is it in your life that there is not enough of. What is running low might not be a physical resource like wine, or maybe it is. It might be something emotional. At least it is for me. My emotional tank, I notice, especially now that we're doing the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Course, I'm connecting the dots and seeing once again, wow, My tank is emptier than I realize. And it gets drained faster than I realize. And I'm learning more about the sources or the reasons why it gets drained from different places. And it's not just one thing, it's kind of a combination of parenting and ministry and, you know, family. And then also, you know, being married to a very gifted woman who pours herself as well pours herself out and so i'm kind of there to support and come alongside which i love to do but it also takes energy right like there isn't always enough emotional resources in the tank to help with homework do my inner job make sure the kids aren't fighting also you know listen to rebecca about her day be there for others who you know, approach me with different needs in their lives, as well as just be with myself in stillness too. There isn't enough. It's like the wine is running out. It's like Mary is saying, there's no more. So do whatever he says. (laughs) And at the end of my list of options, finally, it's like, okay, Sorry, Jesus, I think you should have been higher on the list, but what do I need to do to to refill and to have enough where it seems like there is only scarcity? You know? That's, That's the area that I'm growing in in this season is leaning into God's joy and provision even when it seems like there's not enough. So what about you? What would it look like for you to lean just a little bit more? You don't have to, like, do a full-on skydive. You could just do, like, a little bit of a lean. <laughs> one, one or two degrees at a time. A few more than last, than last time. What would it mean to lean more into God's joy and provision? Like those guests at the wedding. The ones who were celebrating the ones who knew what was going on, the ones who didn't know what was going on, they experienced joy. They experienced abundance. They experienced God's provision. And isn't it incredible that you don't have to know it's from God to experience something that is totally from God? God isn't like, unless you know it's from me, you can't have it. It helps if you do know where it comes from because, you know, eventually you'll, you'll find out. But Jesus doesn't seem concerned about the religious status of who is receiving the wine in this situation. Jesus wants to bring joy and abundance and provision to places that are dry, places that are scarce. And Even though, in one sense, Jesus wasn't planning to do this, in another sense, he was. Because he has invested himself in the life of his community. Cana, where the wedding takes place, is just a few miles away from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. So, he is a full participant in the life of what's happening, whether he's up front or behind the scenes. Jesus is there. He has proximity. He is close enough To be part of whatever's happening. He's close enough to be asked. If he wasn't even at the wedding because he was too busy studying his Bible or going on a prayer retreat, he wouldn't have been there for Mary to ask. And yet he is there because he wants to be present in our moments of joy and celebration just as much as in our moments of sickness and need and desperation. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is all about drawing near. And that's why we have communion, right? So we can draw near tangibly, three-dimensionally that is the God we serve. Amen. Amen. We'll leave these up here for now, but we'll we'll close in prayer. Thanks TJ for for bringing up all these all this quantity and quality of abundance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you <sighs> Even you can show us how to hold things with open hands. And you can show us what it means to be affected by those who you love. Thank you for showing us what it means to look to unexpected places, to look to the ones who may not be as likely in our minds to know about your goodness and miracles. And yet so often our expectations are challenged and we are pleasantly and wonderfully surprised once again that, yes, you are already working there and you have a plan and that you will provide. So thank you, Lord, for the joy. Thank you, Lord, that we can enter into life's celebrations and moments of joy with full participation and proximity. And that is part of our discipleship, to be involved in whatever it is you invite us um, to be part of and whoever's life it is that you invite us to be part of. So help us to look for you at work. Help us to trust in you when you have instructions. And help us To continually give thanks for what you have sacrificed and what you have given up in order to be impacted by our issues our sin our distance from you thank you for that wine that reminds us of your sacrifice on the cross for our joy, for our future. Thank you, Lord. Amen.